Welcome to Jersey Guy Sports, your sports talk home for the Yanks, the Giants, the Rangers, and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, and I'm your host, Don. I want to thank you for listening. Now, today, I will be discussing some not-so-good things. The Rangers' season ends with a disappointing Game 7 loss to the Devils in Round 1. And the Yanks and Aaron Boone are looking worse and worse and worse as the season goes on. So let's go ahead and get started. So we're going to go ahead and get started with the New York Rangers. The Rangers season is done. Unfortunately, a 4-0 Game 7 loss to the New Jersey Devils Monday night in New Jersey is going to result in some soul-searching for the Blue Shirts and for their management. This one is going to sting for a long time for Ranger fans. It's a bitter, bitter disappointment for a team that was up two games to nothing after two road games to open this First round series. The Rangers had won two games in New Jersey to take a 2 nothing series lead and then went on to lose four of the next five games to New Jersey, including this game seven. This was a crushing, crushing end to a season of ups and downs for the Rangers. The Rangers were kind of all over the place this year. And if you're a Ranger fan, you know this. You were watching the Rangers as the season go on, go into these long stretches of not being very good, Power play being up and down, different kind of inability to score. Igor with a slow start to the season, then a good finish to the season. But this was a tough, tough way to lose. Now, that said, this game meant obviously so much for both teams. Game seven in the playoffs is just, and hockey is the pinnacle for me of sports. I love game sevens. It is so exciting, although this game for the Rangers was not. Um, but obviously it meant so much to both teams, but for the devils, this sort of was a modern Mount Everest game for the devils climbing Mount Everest. You know, there were articles written before this game seven for the devils about this being a possible quote unquote forever moment for the devils, right? Um, the star ledger NJ.com was writing about that. Now for the Rangers, it was, you know, it's not just another game, but it was another game seven. The Rangers had played a lot of them in the last couple of years, um, and won most of them, honestly. And and they wanted to get past the Devils for sure. And it's not saying that the Devils wanted it more. But, you know, for the Devils and their fans, this was a quote-unquote forever moment, even though it was just a first-round playoff win. And, you know, they sort of played like it, i got to be honest with you. They had more drive to their game. They continued to be faster and seemed to work harder than the Rangers. But, you know, writing about a possible forever moment really sort of frames the way uh, it is in the Devils' minds versus the Rangers' minds, right? It's such a big series for the Devils. This would be tremendous if we knocked off the Rangers. And if we won, yeah, it would have been great that we beat a good Devils team, but it would just be on to round two. But the Devils got there forever moment. It was an inauspicious end to the Rangers' team. And this is a Rangers' team that is a win-now team. Make no mistake, right? They have young players, but let's face it, Kane, and Tarasenko were added at the trade deadline to win now, right? And though Kane actually and finally played kind of a strong, fast game for a friggin' change, it didn't happen, right? They didn't win now. The Rangers didn't win now. And as I think about this, and I and I really take a critical look at this series in this game, I think the epitaph for this Rangers team might read something like, they were an amazing talent, but had the unfortunate luck of facing the Devils in the first round. And we'll see how far the Devils go, right? 
This was never, ever a good matchup for the Rangers. And in the end, it kind of showed. All year, the Devils had the Rangers number. And if you watched all the Rangers-Devils games this year, right, before this series started, not when the Rangers were up 2-0, going into this series, right, before there were any games played, right, and you were a big Ranger fan, you watched all the Ranger-Devil games, it would be hard for you to convince me, if you were talking to me, that you would say, oh, yeah, the, the, the Rangers are definitely better than, than the Devils because that's not how it looked all year. The Rangers won one overtime game and lost the other three against the Devils. And in every game, the Devils looked better. Even the one win that the Rangers got, the Devils looked like they were the better team. They were faster all year. They played a style that the Rangers just could not compensate for. And the Rangers, while much more talented, I think, top to bottom, didn't have the team game or the team speed that the Devils have. And it showed all year, and it ended up costing them by you know, having outplayed and outspeeded in game seven and losing the critical game seven by a score of four to nothing, including an open net goal. Uh, the first goal in these game sevens is so critical. Now the game turned on a shorthanded goal, right? It was nothing, nothing. And in the second period, two really, really bad plays by Adam Fox, which is something you almost never hear out of anyone's mouth. If you said two bad plays in a row by Adam Fox, you would think that's over the period of three months, but he made it in about a period of a couple seconds. And he turned the puck over when he had time and space to do anything he wanted with as the Rangers were starting their power play in, the, in his own defensive zone. He turned it right over. Um, then when a teammate of the Devils had it, he went out to play it and missed the puck again. It resulted in basically a person right in front of the net being uncovered, beating Igor, and the Devils were up one nothing, And it almost never happens with Fox, but it happened in the absolute worst possible time in a tie game in the second period of Game 7. That first goal, as I mentioned, was so critical, and it really carried the Devils forward, and it showed. It turned the game. I mean, the Devils made it 2 nothing shortly after that on <laughs> what was really more bad defense by the Rangers, who are clearly, I don't think they're intimidated by the Devils' speed, but they have been burned by it on more than one occasion. And they were backing into the zone. They gave the Devils so much room. And again, I don't, I forget the person, but he came flying into the, the Rangers' zone, almost unchallenged. Um, didn't score. Igor made a save, but it went behind the net. It was passed out in front, and bang, bang, it was 2 nothing in what was really too easy of an entry. Now, a very, very, very huge, I can't even overstate this, reason for this loss in Game 7, the Rangers' power play let them down again in Game 7. That was a tough thing to watch. Now, the Rangers had four friggin' power plays in the first period, right? Four power plays and it yielded absolutely nothing. That almost never happens, and you cannot have that happen in Game 7 where you do not score on four straight power plays in the in the span of, you know, 20 minutes. You cannot let that happen. Um, you take a one at least a one nothing lead there on one of the power plays, and it's a whole different game. Um, and the power play has been up and down this season and this series. And I have to say... Gallant is a fair reason for this, and I've talked about it on my previous podcast, him moving Mika Zibanejad to the bumper position after the trade deadline was a disaster and should never have happened. Um, 
Now, when they moved him back in game six to his sort of left wing position on the power play where Amico fires on goal, it resulted in an immediate goal and, and the power play looked much better. Now, in this game, the power play looked okay at times, but even so, they did not score. And it can't happen. With this much talent on the power play, the Devils were just faster. They were better. They played good defense. And the Devils goalie played pretty good. He's going to get a lot of accolades for shutting out the Rangers in Game 7. And he played pretty well. But I got to be honest, the Rangers, they didn't really make it that difficult for him. There was not that many screens. There wasn't any deflection saves. There wasn't any highlight reel saves. It was all really just stopping most of the shots that he should have stopped. He made a couple pretty good saves, but really there's none that I would look back and say, wow, how did he make that save? It was mostly just the Rangers not putting in enough effort to make it harder on the devil's goalie. And I'm sorry to say that, but that's what it is. And I'm going to talk a little bit later about one of the things, one of the reasons why that might've been the case this year versus last year. Now, overall, the Devils are faster, they're more aggressive, they forecheck better, and the Devils deserve to win this friggin' game. So it's not as if any one particular thing, you know, wanted them. Certainly the Rangers' power play was the biggest factor, but start to finish, the Devils were, were the better team. The third period got a little testy when Jacob Truba threw one of his famous decleater hits on Timo Meyer. Just decleated him again. It was a nice, clean, open ice hit. But in this time, unlike some of the other games when he's done it, it didn't turn the game around, and it just didn't matter. The Devils were faster. They were playing better by a large margin defensively than the Rangers were. And they won most of the one-on-one puck battles again, again. Um, And though Igor was absolutely outstanding again, the Rangers could not muster any friggin' offense in Game 7. And what are you going to say? When you score zero goals in a Game 7 it's just depressing. It reminded me of what, 2015? What was the year where they lost to uh, <clears throat> Tampa in the Eastern Conference Finals in Game Seven? It was a dreadful game. In that game, they got absolutely no offense. They had a few shots and chances in this game. That was they had the Tampa game was even worse, but um, it was obviously for much bigger marbles. Winner got into the Stanley Cup Finals, but here. Getting shut out in Game 7 is never a good thing. It's certainly going to propel this um, Devils goalie, you know, I think to some stardom and maybe, you know, stardom on his career. Now, uh, sometimes, you know, grit and heart and certainly speed, sometimes it overcomes skill. And I think that was the case Monday in New Jersey. And the Rangers have to be shaking their heads about where they go from here after this game. Now, the fallout from this first round loss is not really known yet, but there is a fair chance that this might've cost Gerard Gallant his coaching job, believe it or not. Now, do I think it should cost him his job? Probably not. Do I think it will cost him his coaching job? Honestly, I think it's 50, 50. I mean, the Rangers are the fourth best team in the NHL and they lost in the first round of the playoffs. I know you can look at other teams, oh, Colorado lost, and oh, the best team ever, and Boston Bruins lost. It does happen in hockey way more than other sports, and that's a whole nother discussion that I'm not going to get into today. But hockey is known for having excellent, excellent teams in the regular season lose in the first round, way more so than basketball, football, hockey, any of the other big sports. So I know it happens. But 
I also know that after last year's great playoff run where everything was gravy, um, there's some danger here for Gerard Gallant. Um, I don't know if it's going to cost them. I think it's 50-50. They lost in the first round of the playoffs after the Rangers were two games away from being in the cup last year. It just doesn't look good for the coach, right? They got so far, and now they couldn't even win a series. Also, not helping Gallant, this constant, constant fiddling with the lines, the constant fiddling with the power play at the end of the year and in the last month certainly hasn't helped this team develop a lot of chemistry. So we're going to check back in at some later time on Gallant's status. But the status of the Ranger season is known, and that's over. That's what it is. And while this stings to friggin' high heaven, I do feel like the Devils were the better team. I said this in my podcast before the Rangers and Devils played. I said it during the series, and I'm going to admit it now. I just feel like the Devils are better. Um, I don't necessarily feel like the Rangers lost the series. I just think the, the Devils won the series. They're just better. And that says something about how Drury and this Rangers team is built, right? We used to be very, very young. And, and yes, we still have a lot of young pieces, right? The kid line is still very young. We have some young, defensive, promising folks. Um, but let's face it, Kane, not counting Game 7, has looked very slow and old. Trocek has been a bitter disappointment in the playoffs. He's not that young. Conjure Miller is young, but he's had a poor playoffs. Drury's very, very intentional changing of the team this year. And lest we forget, right, we had a team last year that had a lot of hitters, right? We had, we had Reeves and a bunch of others that we played physical during the year and during the playoffs, right? And Drury very intentionally traded those pieces away to remove physical play and to add skill, right, onto a team that did not really end up playing very well and it did not pay off in the end. Now, Drury isn't going anywhere, but his gallant... I think we're going to have to see. They both need to answer for this friggin' disappointing first round exit. That's for sure. Now, there's certainly some tough days and nights ahead for the New York Rangers, who are now off until October. So we'll come back and talk more about the Rangers at some point in the future. I'm going to go on and talk a little bit about the New York Yankees. So moving on from one disappointment to the next, the New York Yankee season is off to an inauspicious start, to say the least. The Yankees are in last place in the American League East, right? So I'm recording this on Monday night, which is May 1st. It's May, and the Yankees are in last place in the American League East. Let that sink in. Last place. Now, going into Monday night, the Yanks had dropped three straight series, and they're now gone 3-8 and eight over their last 11 games after another atrocious loss on Monday night. Now, I don't normally talk about specific games very often, but in addition to talking about the Yankees, I had to talk about this Monday night game. And it was a special kind of friggin' idiocy for the moron that is our manager, Aaron Boone. The team was actually getting a tremendous pitching start, tremendous effort from Domingo Herman, who went into the ninth pitching a one-hit shutout. He was tremendous. He was absolutely baffling the team. His pitch count was low. He was unbelievably good, right? And so he got one out in the ninth, and Herman actually gave up a single. 
a single in the ninth inning. One single. The Yanks are up 2-0 in the ninth inning. Herman is absolutely dominating. At this point, after the single, pitching a two-hit shutout with one out in the ninth. So this prompted our illustrious moron of a manager to take Herman out. And of course, the bullpen proceeded to give up three runs in the ninth, blow the lead, and the Yankees lost again, three to two. If you listen to this podcast, you know how much I despise Aaron Boone. I feel he's like a terrible, terrible, awful manager who has absolutely no friggin' feel for the game at all. His by-the-book approach has just killed the Yanks over and over. Lefty-lefty, righty-righty, a pitcher is on a pitch count, I must take him out, I must do this. He give up a single in the nine, so God forbid we let him finish the game. Cleveland could not hit Domingo Herman on Monday night. They could not friggin' touch him. So one single in the ninth, and of course he pulls him out of the game like a, the friggin' asshole he is. Boone heads back to the dugout and watches his bullpen just friggin' destroy the game, and the Yankees end up losing 3-2. to two. His by-the-book approach has just killed the Yankees over and over and over. And Boone single-handedly lost this game. I mean, kudos to this moron-in-chief. you you got to be kidding me. And by the way, let, I'll give it to Michael Kay as well, and, and even Paul O'Neill, who, of course, didn't put any kind of feed pushback whatsoever to the fact that he was taking Herman out after pitching a brilliant, brilliant game in the ninth inning. Just, oh, well, he doesn't want to get the tying run up there because he's had a penchant for home runs or some other happy horseshit that he was spewing on the broadcast. I can't stand Michael Kay's analysis of games. I think he's a very, very exciting announcer of the game. I like how he calls the game. He's very exciting for Yankee fans. His analysis is awful. He cannot see the forest for the trees. What's right in front of his face, he, he cannot see. And I don't know if it's just out of, you know, he has to interview Boone once a week on a show and he doesn't want to talk bad of him. This was clearly the stupidest fucking moronic move you could ever do that Boone did. He did it. And Kay did not say one stupid word about how dumb and stupid. I can't even, there's there's better words for this, but I'm telling you, if you're watching this Yankee game tonight, it was just ridiculously dumb on Boone's part. And it's just one of a million dumb things that Boone does all the time. He's resting 21-year-old Volpe in April. He's 21. It's April. Does he does he actually need a rest? You know, this lefty-righty horse shit. I'm not even going to go into it. It's just that this Monday night game was a special brand of moronic, you know, for Aaron Boone. So kudos to him. Yanks are really in huge trouble early in 2023, and I want to talk a little bit about them in general, right? So the Yanks have, I wrote down a few things. What is it? A 226 team batting average here on May 1st, uh, and that's 12th amongst the 15 American League clubs. The Yanks have scored three runs or fewer in now 14 of their last 18 games. Three runs or fewer. Remember, too, right, guys, this is the year that Major League Baseball rules have changed in the favor of hitters, big time, right? No defensive shifting, no continuous pickoff moves or step off. It's all in favor of the hitter. And still, the Yankees' offense is terrible. Now, clearly, guys, injuries have played a decent part of these recent struggles for sure. Now, Aaron Judge was the latest to be added to the IL after, you know, some kind of weird hip thing. They're already 
you know, without Stanton and Bader and, well, Josh Donaldson, which is a good thing because I don't ever want him back on a team, as well as others. But Judge has been out for the last now four games, and he's on the IL with, with everyone else. Now, they even brought in someone named Josh Powers, who got hurt, making a great play in the field on Texas on Saturday. I don't know if you guys saw that, but Saturday night he goes back, first ball hit to him. He got hurt even before he got one single at-bat with the Yanks. Now, thankfully, it looks like he's not that seriously hurt. They did some tests on him, but still, the injuries certainly are contributing to the Yankees' record in their bad play. Contributing. Injuries are not the only problem, though. Injuries are not making suck-ass Aaron Hicks hit 142. They're not making Trevino hit 237, right? Injuries are not making Glaber Torres hit 240 and IKF hit 196. Injuries are not making Higashioka hit 195 or, you know, Cabrera hit 201. Even DJ, who I love, is only hitting around 265 or something like that after a good day on Monday night. Now, Volpe gets a pass because he's getting his footing in the major leagues, and I know he's going to be a good hitter. But injuries have not made all those players I just named hit like dog shit, right? That's got nothing to do with injuries. That's just the players that are here playing terribly. And I won't even go into the pitchers pitching terribly lately. So the remaining batters, as well as the remaining pitchers, just are not playing well enough. And importantly, the Yankees' lack of organizational depth has been exposed during these times. And this is an important thing that I want to take a minute and talk about, right? Because when you have all these people out, you get to see a team's organizational depth. Huh, how are these other players going to play? The players that step in, the rookies, the uh, you know sort of free agents that you picked up and put in AAA. How is your organizational depth? And make no mistake, in the past, when I've complained on this podcast over and over about Cashman's inability to properly assess talent, just in general and during trades, etc., this is the result we get. If you've heard this podcast, you know I feel that properly assessing talent is the single most important thing any sports organization needs to excel at. Properly assessing talent drives everything. It's at the crux of every organizational decision a team makes. If you can't properly assess talent, you can't make transactional decisions and you can ruin your team. Or at worst, you know, you can fail to improve your team because you think this guy is better than he really is. Or you fail to value this and you trade him away. Things like that. So inability to properly assess talent has been killing Cashman and the Yankees for years now. He used to be a good GM, and now the game has passed him by, and their inability to properly assess talent has exposed what I think is the Yankees' lack of organizational depth here. So let's just take a quick look, right? When you have three, when you trade three pitchers, including J.P. Sears, and a second baseman for Frankie Montas, you know, the Yankees' organizational depth suffers. Right, So when Cashman traded those three pitchers and a second baseman for a pitcher that really hasn't pitched on the Yanks at all, and when he did, he was terrible, and he's out until at least, what, August, if not the whole year, our organizational depth suffers. When Cashman trades three friggin' minor leaguers, all of which, by the way, are in the majors now, 
the number 14, number 15, and number 23 prospects on the Yanks for Joey Gallo. Your organizational depth suffers, right? The Yankees' depth suffers. You're trading away young talent for dog shit major leaguers. Frankie Montas, Joey Gallo. When you hang on to Gary Sanchez year after year after year after year after year, you're not properly assessing talent. Failing to realize that Glaber Torres was basically at his maximum trade value before this year, and certainly after the first two weeks he there, where he was hitting the shit out of the ball. He could have traded him and got a huge return. He continues to minimize people's value. And this doesn't help when you're trying to build organizational depth. Signing Aaron Hicks' extension deals and the famous Stanton deal that we'll never get any value out of. This all contributes to a lack of organizational depth. And when you talk about GMs, the inability to properly assess talent is a dagger for a team. Now, we'll see. We're just into May now. There's a long road ahead. Yankees are eight games out as of May 1st going into this night. I don't know what Tampa did tonight, but we're either eight or nine games out at this point. But certainly not a harbinger of good things ahead. Let's face it. Let's put it that way. All that said, there is some reason for optimism for the Yanks, right? If all the Yankees currently on the IL, you know, do come back and perform well, it'll certainly lift the team, you know, right? By how much? That's obviously the great unknown here. Very high on Anthony Volpe. He's going to help the team immensely. Just mark my words. He's going to be just a tremendous help. Cole has been fantastic. Nestor Cortez is spectacular. He had two bad games in a row. But Nestor's Ortez. His Cortez is awesome. DJ is going to continue to hit. As long as he doesn't get hurt, DJ is a spectacular hitter. Harrison Bader coming back is going to help our defense a lot, as well as our lineup. Maybe Stanton can actually stay healthy the rest of the year after he comes back. <laughs> I'm sorry. I tried to say that with a straight face. We'll see if it can actually happen. Um, you know, maybe rainbows or unicorns and we'd all be happy, right? Oh, my God. I don't know. Just keep saying this over and over. But baseball is a marathon, right? It is a marathon. So, you know, you never know. We, we have lots of time to fix these things. But I'll tell you what. Early in the season, as we head into May, things are looking inauspicious to start, and I will say that is the best way I can put it for the Yankees. And that's all I have in me to talk about tonight between the Rangers' tough night and the Yanks looking like a disaster. I don't know if I have it in me to go on anymore. So I think I'm going to end it here. And I want to thank you for listening to Jersey Guy Sports. Please subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends all about it. Uh, it would be great, and it will help me grow the platform if you can do so. I'm very grateful and thankful for uh, any new subscribers. I'm very happy to continue doing this as long as it makes people happy. I'll be back soon with some more sports talk. Thanks and good night.